Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Amen. We're continuing our series in the Beatitudes, and Becky is going to read the Beatitudes for us. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. God, would you consider yourself a merciful person? Would you consider yourself someone who shows mercy? Spencer Perkins and his family had to wrestle with that very question one Christmas morning. Spencer and his wife woke up on Christmas morning to the shouts of one of their daughter going, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And the daughter came running into their room and said, Daddy, all the Christmas presents are gone. Now, we've heard of things happening like this in The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, but Spencer could see by the tone on his daughter's in his daughter's voice and by the look on her face that this was not a joke. They went downstairs and their Christmas presents were gone. Christmas Eve, someone had broken into their house while they were sleeping, taken all their gifts. Christmas morning, their presents were gone. The tree was empty. The the most angry was their 11-year-old son because the 11-year-old son had been waiting on a pair of Nikes that were under the tree and we're now gone, and we're now gone. Spencer took the moment to teach his children. He was mad, his daughter was mad, his wife was mad, his son was especially mad because his Nikes were gone. He said, son, what, what do you think Jesus would want us to do in this situation? And his son, kind of gritting it out, said the right answer. He said, well, even though this person doesn't deserve it, Whoever took these things doesn't deserve it. We should forgive them. Even though this person doesn't deserve it, we should show them grace. Even though this person doesn't deserve it, we should be merciful. Now, you can imagine that was easy for the 11-year-old to say when that thief was not in front of him. But had the 11-year-old encountered the thief, he might have had something different to say. But I thought it was interesting that the 11-year-old said, even though they don't deserve it even though they don't deserve it. Uh, Spencer Perkins said that showing mercy is unnatural. Uh, I think we have a quote from him. He said, because it is unnatural, we have to practice forgiveness 
because, or like any other discipline. And I thought about that. Well, why is it unnatural? Why is it unnatural for us to show mercy? And the reason is, is because we live in a world where people get what they deserve. We live in a world where people get what they deserve. And so we're back to that question, do we consider ourselves merciful people? Well, we might say we're merciful to the people who deserve it. We're merciful to the people who really deserve it. Maybe that's friends or family, or maybe that's people who who really show a change of heart. But that in and of itself shows that we don't understand mercy. Mercy is not something that is deserved. Uh, Mercy is not something that is deserved. There's an old story about the great emperor Napoleon, and I use the term great loosely, but powerful emperor Napoleon. There's a story about a mother who came before Napoleon, and her son was to be executed. And she asked Napoleon for mercy for his son. And Napoleon said, well, this is the second time I'm pardoning your son. He deserves death for his crimes. And the mother said to Napoleon, I don't ask for what he deserves. I plead for mercy. And Napoleon said, but your son doesn't deserve mercy. And she said back to him, if it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And Napoleon ended up pardoning the son as the story goes. What what is mercy? Well, first of all, mercy is compassion. It's compassion for people who may or may not deserve it. It's sympathy for someone who's in trouble and a desire to relieve their suffering because you can commiserate with them. There's something internal that happens with us when we show compassionate mercy. It's often through our own trials and tribulations that we learn compassion for other people's trials and tribulations. Jack Cambria was the hostage negotiator, the top hostage negotiator in New York City. He was in that position for 33 years, and so he ended up training a lot of other hostage negotiators. And you think someone who's taken hostage, hostages does not deserve mercy, right? They've taken someone else's life into their hands and they're kidnapping them and keeping them captive. But what Cambria learned was that the best hostage negotiators were the people who could show compassion to the one who had taken hostages. They were able to talk them down because they would show compassion. And the best people to show compassion were those who had life stories of pain. In other words, the best hostage negotiators were those who drew on their own broken stories from their own trials and tribulations, and that produced a sympathy, a merciful compassion that affected their tone and what they said with those who had hostages. They were able to commiserate with them and be sympathetic towards them and have compassion internally. But merciful compassion is more than just an internal feeling. It's an external action. It's when something is actually done to relieve the suffering of another person rather than just passing them by. LaShonda Calloway died on the floor of a convenience store in Wichita, Kansas. She had been in an altercation with someone else in that convenience store. She was brutally injured and lay there on the floor. 
And as she died, what she witnessed were five people seeing her on the floor and stepping over her to continue their shopping. In fact, the, the police looked at the videotape after she died and saw five people stepping over her to continue on with what they were doing. The last person stopping, pulling out their phone and taking a picture of her as she died. What a disturbing image. What a disturbing image of the world that we live in that lacks so much compassion. But it also makes us wonder who have we stepped over? Who have we passed by? That maybe we said they don't deserve compassion, so I'm going to move on with what I need to do. Well, here's the good news. Humanity might not be compassionate. Humanity might struggle to show mercy in the face of what other people deserve, but God is compassionate. God is full of mercy. When God saw that Israel was groaning in Egypt after 400 years of slavery, he remembered his covenant. He remembered his promises to his people, and he went down and he rescued them out of their oppression. He saved them from Egypt. But as he saved them, he said, you understand what it means to need compassion. You understand what it means to need mercy. And so part of who you are going to be in the world is a compassionate and merciful people. Just as you needed compassion when you were in oppression in Egypt, so you are to show the world what my compassion looks like. You are to show mercy to the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, and the poor. In other words, God is saying, as merciful compassion is part of my character, so shall my people receive it and then display it in the world. And we have no greater picture of this than Jesus himself. When Jesus walked on the earth, he was full of mercy and compassion. One of my favorite stories in the Bible that shows this most clearly is the story of the widow of Nain, where Jesus is traveling with his band of followers, a large crowd, and there's this woman who's coming out of the city of Nain to bury her son. She was a widow, so she didn't have a husband. Her son had died, and so she had now had no means to support herself. She was looking at a life of increased poverty and pain, and her funeral procession comes and meets Jesus's band of followers, and Jesus shows compassion. Look how the, the historical account reads from Luke 7. Afterward, he, Jesus, was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. Just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the town was also with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion compassion on her and said, don't weep. Then he came up and touched the open coffin and the pallbearer stopped and he said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. Even in that story, you hear the tender compassion and mercy of Jesus in the midst of this widow's plight. He fixes her situation. He resurrects her son. 
He changes her future because of his compassion. But not only in showing up at the town of Nain, but even Jesus just coming into this world is the trump card of God's compassion for us. While we were still sinners, the Father sent the Son, the Father looked at our plight, that we had no way of paying off our debt to sin, that we had no way to appease his wrath against our sin. And while we were still sinners, Jesus was sent. And he came and he died for ungodly people like you and me, though we did not deserve it. That is merciful compassion. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. And as the people of God, we want to display that merciful compassion as a characteristic of God's kingdom. That's one of the reasons that we have the mercy team. Uh, the mercy team is here to help people who need compassion shown to them. And maybe you want to be part of that team because mercy is compassion. But mercy also has to do with forgiving and forgiveness. Alexander de Jong says that forgiveness has to do with three things. Forgoing the right of not striking back. Forgoing the right of not striking back. Now we can picture a punch is received and then you don't return the punch for a punch. But we can also picture it in other words. A harsh word is said, and then, but a harsh word is not returned. Someone ruins your reputation, but then you withhold ruining their reputation. Step one of forgiveness is foregoing the right of not striking back. But then two, it's replacing resentment with goodwill. When someone wrongs you, forgiveness, merciful forgiveness, looks like wanting the best for them rather than wanting the worst for them. But then third, merciful forgiveness looks like doing the best you can in that situation to restore good relations. Doing the best you can to restore good relations. Sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes that's not safe. But from where you stand, doing the best you can to restore good relations. That is what merciful forgiveness is. Maybe it would be helpful to talk about what merciful forgiveness is not as well. Because a lot of times we talk about forgiveness as mercy and we say forgive and forget and no one's really sure what that means. And no one's really sure how to experience that. Merciful forgiveness, first of all, isn't pretending that nothing happened. Rather, it's seeing exactly what happened and still forgiving. Merciful forgiveness isn't pretending that nothing happened. It's seeing exactly what happened and still forgive, forgiving. It's not forgetting sin, but naming the sin and forgiving in light of the sin. Perhaps we saw one of the greatest examples of this in 2008 when Rachel Denholder confronted Larry Nassar in a courtroom during a 35-minute speech. And if you haven't watched the speech, I will warn you, it will make you uncomfortable. But she did not mince words. She did not pretend that nothing happened. She said exactly what happened as she faced the man who assaulted and abused her. 
But what was so interesting in the midst of that, in the midst of not pretending but saying exactly what happened, what was so interesting about her words compared to one other gentleman, one other fellow gymnastics trainer who got up and he looked at Larry and he just said, go to hell! And then wanted to sit down. But Rachel stood there after saying exactly what had happened and she pleaded with Larry as a fellow human being. She said, I, I, I plead with you. You're, you're carrying around this Bible. You need to read it and see what it says about forgiveness. Because Larry, you need forgiveness. Ultimately, this was profound. She said, ultimately, you don't need my forgiveness. You need God's. You need God's forgiveness. It was so interesting that she had not minced words about what he had done, yet there was this sense of goodwill for him. She wanted him to find God. She wanted him to go to Jesus. She wanted him to receive forgiveness. And that stood in stark contrast to the other man who just said, go to hell, because there's something in us that wants to say exactly what that man said. Yet, Rachel Denholder looked at her abuser and didn't operate based on what he deserved, but rather the fact that she wanted him to be forgiven by God, and she forgave him. And here's why. She's able to see with a Christian eye. A part of forgiving, part of being merciful, is not pushing things under the rug, but seeing them as they really are, but also seeing yourself as you really are. It's seeing the other person with a Christian eye, but seeing yourself with a Christian eye. Now, when we talk about sin, all sin is sin, yet there are severity, there's levels of severity when it comes to sin. I mean, all sin is not equal. All sin is sin, but there are things that are grossly heinous compared to little white lies. Little white lies are still a sin, but there are things that are treacherous and evil. And yet all of it is sinful. And something happens to the Christian when they begin to look at themselves and they begin to see that person committed something evil, but I do as well. Now it might not rank the same, but yet it is still evil. That person has wronged others, and so have I. That person has deceived others, and I have as well. And to see with a Christian eye means that, not that you push sin under the rug, but that you see your own sin, even as you look at someone else who is a sinner. And compassion actually begins to build up for that other person. As you see, I am a slave to sin before Christ, and they are a slave to sin. I have been duped by the temptations of the devil, and so have they. I have bought into the way the world thinks, and they have bought in with it hook, line, and sinker. It's not to say that the severity of sin is the same, but something happens when we begin to see ourselves and the other person with a Christian eye and recognize that we need mercy too. We begin to see our own treachery. During the Nuremberg war crime trials, one of the key witnesses was a man named Yehiel Diner who was a Jewish man who had been in Auschwitz and survived. And he was a key witness in the trial 
of the Nazi officer Adolf Eichmann. Eichmann was known as one of the organizers of the Holocaust. Think about that. Adolf Eichmann, the organizer of the Holocaust. That is an evil man. But as Yehiel Denur sat in the witness stand in 1961, he just gave a short testimony uh, of accusation against Eichmann. And after that short testimony, he fainted. He passed out. And for several decades, people wondered, why did he pass out on the witness stand? Maybe it was coming face to face with his oppressor. Maybe it was coming face to face with such an evil man, brought back all these memories. It triggered his PTSD, and he couldn't stand it anymore, and he just passed out. Uh, But two decades later, he was interviewed. He was interviewed on TV, and they asked him, what happened? Why did you pass out? And this is really amazing what he said. Dinner talking about coming face to face with Adolf Eichmann, the organizer of the Holocaust, said that he realized that looking at him, that Eichmann was just a human being. He was just a human being, just like I am. Though he had sent so many people to die, Adolf Eichmann was just an ordinary man. And if an ordinary man can do that, Deneur was overwhelmed by what he might be capable of. It's shocking to think about. It's shocking to think about. And that caused him to faint on the witness stand. In fact, I think we have a picture of him there on the witness stand. He ended that interview by saying, I was afraid about myself. I saw that I am capable to do this that I am exactly like he. Now, that stretches our minds because we go, there's no way. But what Eichmann, or what uh, Denier saw in Eichmann was that given the right circumstances and the right time in history with the right leadership and the right societal pressures and the right sense of revenge and the right fears, any human being is capable of anything. And Denier realized that he was a broken human, just like this man. That he was morally bankrupt, just like the organizer of the Holocaust. That he was spiritually impoverished, just like Eichmann. And that he himself needed mercy. He himself needed mercy. Merciful forgiveness isn't pretending that wrong didn't happen but it is seeing the sin as it really happens, but then choosing to see through Christian eyes and realizing that sin in others is real, but so is sin in ourselves. Evil is real in others, but so is it in ourselves. That others are are capable of great evil, but so are we. But merciful forgiveness also isn't forgetting, but rather choosing to forgive. You know, sometimes when people wrong me, I just forget about it. I do. I just forget. I don't have to work through a process of forgiveness. I just forget about it. Other times I don't. I don't ever forget about it. It comes back up in my heart and brings up feelings of bitterness. And I, I don't know what, if, if I'm supposed to be in control of how my thought patterns work, but I do know that once it comes up, I have a choice. I have a choice, Right? 
Forgiveness isn't forgetting, but it's choosing to forgive. When those things come to, to remembrance, we choose mercy rather than revenge. This is what Christ did on the cross, the ultimate injustice. The sinless one was put on the cross as a sinner to pay for your and mine sins. He, he was innocent, but he was convicted as a criminal. And as he looked down at those who had wrongly accused him and wrongly crucified him, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Merciful forgiveness for Christ wasn't forgetting, but choosing to forgive. And this goes against everything in our culture. Because what our culture tells us is that the blessed life is to be a powerful person that no one wants to mess with. It's to be someone who pays like for like. It's to be someone who punishes those who punish you. It's to be someone who is so tough that no one wants to mess with you. Now, there's something in us that wants that, whether you're the most timid person or whether you're an angry person. There is something in us that wants to be feared. We don't want to get hurt. We don't want others to think that they can hurt us. We want to be someone that doesn't get messed with. And so we live a life of choosing to settle the score whether that's with someone at work by gossiping about them, whether that's someone on the streets by punching back, whether that's by not letting your spouse get away with that thing one more time. Whatever that thing is, you give it right back. But ultimately, a life that says no one's going to mess with me is not a blessed life. It's a life that leads to self-destruction. It's a life that leads to self-destruction. Ken Bailey puts it this way. If you can put up the slide. Did we lose? There it is. If you go to the one that says Ken Bailey quote. That's all right, I got it here. Ken Bailey says, to show mercy and to forgive is extremely difficult for those who have been deeply wronged. But the alternative, listen to this, but the alternative is self-destruction through nursing grudges and seeking revenge. Such grievances are often passed on from generation to generation and become destructive forces in the lives of individuals and societies. The blessed the blessed, the blessed, escape these self-crippling cycles for they are merciful. For they are merciful. In, in your marriage, when your spouse has wronged you, do you choose to pay them back or do you choose to be merciful and forgive? When your co-workers cheat you out of something that is rightfully yours? Do you choose to paint them in a bad light to everyone else, or do you show mercy and forgive? Maybe you've even missed opportunities to turn an enemy into a friend because you wanted to pay back rather than show mercy. 
And in one sense, no one can blame you because we live in a world where we want to portray strength. We want to portray that we don't want to be messed with, but showing mercy is not weak, it's strong. Showing mercy isn't foolishness, it's wisdom. Showing mercy isn't Jesus being confused about what it means to live a blessed life. Rather, to be merciful is to live in a state of blessing. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That's not to say that if you show enough mercy in your life, then you'll deserve mercy from God, because that's not mercy. Mercy is undeserved. You can't show enough mercy in your life to earn God's mercy. He only gives it, and then you receive it. What Jesus is saying is that there are two ways to live. There is the way that chooses mercy. I need mercy from God, and therefore I will show mercy to people that do not deserve it. Or I want what I deserve from God, which is wrath and judgment, and therefore I will pay others back with what I think they deserve. And that is not the blessed life, but the blessed life is showing mercy and receiving mercy from God. Now, this is not the way the world works, but here's the good news. It never has been. <laughs> it never has been. Uh, Rodney Stark says that when Jesus came on the scene, at that time in the Roman Empire, mercy was seen as a character defect. Mercy was seen as a character defect because it made justice so much more complicated. And so you should ignore people who cry out for mercy because mercy gets in the way of what people deserve. But mercy is the character of God's kingdom. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The disciples of Jesus show mercy because they have received mercy. Jesus is merciful. God is merciful. That's part of his character, and you get to be part of the, of the kingdom of God because of mercy. You don't deserve to be part of God's family. You haven't done anything to win his grace. You haven't done any, enough good things to pay for your sins. You weren't a shining star that, Jesus, that God looked at and said, I guess I'll send Jesus to save them because they're going to be so awesome. No, God sent Jesus because of pure mercy not because you deserved it. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God did not give you what you deserve. In his mercy, he gave you Jesus. In his mercy, he gave you Jesus. He, he didn't pretend that you weren't a sinner. He saw your sin, and yet it's in his mercy he sent Jesus Christ. He, he didn't forget about your sins. Rather, he chose to provide you a way for forgiveness through Jesus' death on the cross so that you would not live a life in here's what I deserve and here's what others deserve, but you would live a blessed life of I desperately need mercy from God and therefore I am going to give it to others who do not deserve it. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. 
We'll see you next week. <laughs>